discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything He is. That is why He told Abraham, He said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave Himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God Himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boatim as Christ is magnified in you. Hallelujah. We're excited. We're excited. Why don't you wave your hands and say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just wave your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just wanted you to thank. Let's, let's just bless his holy name for what he has done. Let's thank the Lord for where he has brought us. Let's thank him for this auditorium. What a beautiful place he has given us. Let's just be grateful. His glory is all over this place. Let's, let's thank him for his provision. His supplies. His provision. His supplies. Let's thank him for this land. This land. This land. This land. This building. Everything. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy. He's worthy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. We can only say thank you, Lord, for what he has done. Hallelujah. We can only say thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful place. Yeah. And uh, even the speed with which this building was put, for, put forth is, is just a miracle. Yeah. I believe there were angelic assistance and the supernatural inflows and all that. And we give God all the glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Give him praise. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God has done it. And that is why you are going to experience speed in your life. Yeah. Now compare Asafo to this place. Can you see the differences? That is how from now to next year, that's how different your life will be. Yeah. Glory, glory, beauty, excellence. That's how your life will be. And uh, we are grateful to God for the life of our bishop. Hallelujah. Yeah. Bishop Oti is a, to us is, he's a symbol of who a pastor should be. So when we speak of the pastoral ministry, we are speaking of Bishop Oti Boatin. Hallelujah. Oh. 
So we thank God for his life and for being an example and for feeding everyone here and all the people everywhere. And uh, it's a great gift given to us. Hallelujah. Bishop, we are proud of you. And thank you for bringing me. Hallelujah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, Bishop is a lovely man. Hallelujah. Pastor Mark said, oh, yes. Say, oh, yes. <laughs> Reverend Eugene, we are, we are proud of you. We thank God for your life. <laughs> yeah, thank you for your life. Thank you for standing with Bishop and your wife and being consistent. Thank you for your faithfulness. Hallelujah. And all the pastors who are with you. Man of God, we, we love you. Yeah. Thank you for what you do for us every year. Yeah. I don't have the permission. I would have said it. Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark is a strong man. And uh, we thank God for your life. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can you stretch your hands? Wonderful Holy Spirit. It's another year and we are come to receive from you. Blessed Spirit of Truth, unveil the word to us. This meeting is in your hands. Have preeminence. Brood and move over your people. And Father, open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law. Thank you. Wonderful Holy Spirit. Thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're excited. I want you to sit down with joy. Alright, turn with me to the book of Leviticus. How many of you like Leviticus? Ask your neighbor, when was the last time you read Leviticus? Leviticus chapter 4, verse 12. Even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp Unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out, and burn him on the wood with fire, where the ashes are poured out, shall he be burnt. Praise God. Now, speaking on the subject, the ashes of the sacrifice. Say the ashes of the sacrifice. Ashes. If the topic is too long for you, just remember, remember ashes. Say ashes. Yeah. Hallelujah. Now the word of God has so many things for us. There are so many golden nuggets, divine riches loaded in the word of God for us, which we have to explore before we get to heaven. Hallelujah. Because it is given to us. And everything written in the Old Testament is about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. The Old Testament is, is a photo album of Christ. It's a photo album. Now, in those days, uh, when you visit people, homes, what they give you first was their album. Now, now it has ceased. Yeah. So every home had album. Just visit. You just put, give the album and you go through the album. How many of you remember that? Those of you who are under 20 don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> go through the album. Yeah, 
The Old Testament is a photo album because when Jesus rose from the dead in the resurrection, the first message he preached, the topic he preached, the first topic he preached was Christ. So Christ first preached Christ when he rose from the dead on the road to Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And the Bible says, and beginning at Moses, he began with Moses. And in all the scriptures, he expounded in them, in the prophets, the things concerning himself. Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning at Moses. So Jesus began to preach, and the Bible says, he began. He began at Moses. Moses means the books of Moses. The books of Moses. So Jesus began to teach about himself beginning at Moses, the books of Moses. And all the prophets, he expounded in them, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So I'm sure that Jesus will open to Leviticus and start talking about the burnt offering and says, I am the burnt offering. And start talking about the grain offering and all the offerings. So on the first Sunday, the day he resurrected, Jesus preached Christ. And after the sermon, he broke communion. He broke bread with them. Hallelujah. So it's a pattern for every Sunday service. We preach Christ and we break bread. Hallelujah. Christ and we break bread. So all the Old Testament is a revelation of Christ. Everything. Alright. Now in Leviticus... There are five major offerings. You have to know it. Because all the five offerings, major offerings, point to one person, Jesus. And they point to his work on the cross. His work on the cross. Five offerings. I don't have to forget these offerings. The first one is called the burnt offering. The burnt offering. What did I say? That's the first offering. It's called a burnt offering. Now the burnt offering, it's, it's a revelation of the beauty of Jesus. The perfections of Jesus. The excellences of Jesus. His obedience. His devotion. That's a burnt offering. So the burnt offering is all about Jesus and his glories and his excellencies. So in a summary, the burnt offering... It's Christ our righteousness. Hallelujah. Because all that Jesus is, is given to us in the burnt offering. And the second one is called the grain offering, which in King James, King James calls it the male offering, the grain offering. The grain offering is an offering that describes the perfection of Jesus' human life or human living. When Jesus lived on earth, his life was Perfect. Excellent. The green offering. So, when you read Leviticus 2, everything that is said there has to do with his life on earth. It's amazing. Then in Leviticus chapter 3, we have the peace offering. So, Leviticus 1 is burnt offering. Leviticus 2 is green offering. Leviticus 3 is peace offering. Peace offering is Christ becoming our peace. 
He died to give us peace and to become our peace. Shalom. But Leviticus chapter 4 speaks of the sun offering. The sun offering. So in Leviticus chapter 4, Christ took our sun. In fact, he became sun. He became us. He became you and took your place. Leviticus 4. Leviticus 4. Then the last one is the trespass offering. Uh, it is also called the guilt offering. The trespass offering or the guilt offering. Christ took our guilt and condemnation. And he took the action of our sins. Now, as a sin offering, Christ took the nature of sin, which is the roots of sin. But as a trespass offering, Christ took the fruits of sins, the action of sins. So sin is both a nature and an action. See, sin is a nature. Sins speaks of actions. So he took the nature of sin when he died. Then, as a trespass offering, he took the guilt, the condemnation, and the action of sins. The sins. The fruit of sins. The act of sins that we've committed. We dealt with it. Hallelujah. How many, how many have not gotten it? All right, you are listening. Praise God. All right. Now, all of these offerings are very wonderful. But I want to give special emphasis on the burnt offering and the sun offering. Now, the burnt offering is the first offering. The burnt offering is always about the beauty of Jesus. Now, all these offerings are divided, divided into two groups. Two groups. All these offerings are into two groups. The first one is called sweet-smelling offerings. Sweet-smelling offerings. Sweet-smelling offerings. So there are the sweet-smelling offerings and the offerings that are not sweet-smelling. Ah. So all these five offerings are into two groups, sweet-smelling and non-sweet-smelling offerings. So the sweet-smelling offerings are three. Are three. What are they? The burnt offering is a sweet-smelling offering. The burnt offering is a sweet-smelling offering. The green offering is a sweet-smelling offering. The peace offering is a sweet-smelling offering. So these three offerings are sweet-smelling. I'll explain. Sweet-smelling offerings. But there are other two offerings that are not sweet-smelling offerings. The sin offering and the trespass offering. They are not sweet-smelling. These are basic things to know so that you can appreciate um, Leviticus and some of these books. Why are they sweet-smelling offerings? Sweet-smelling because all the sweet-smelling offerings are bent on the altar. On the altar. And they are bent like incense. The word sweet-smelling means sweet perfume. Fragrance. Fragrant offering. Perfume. Now, how, many, how many of you have used sweet, wonderful perfume tonight? Yeah. I'd have permitted you to smell your brother or your sister, but it's not, it's not healthy. <laughs> to check whether your perfume is sweet. Ah. So there are some offerings, the perfume is sweet, others have no perfume. Have no perfume. So the ones that have perfume, the father smells it and goes like, wow, this is too good. 
You know, the father smells it. All the sweet perfume offerings reminds the father about the wonder and the excellence and the beauty of his son Jesus. His obedience, his devotion. So when they are bent, it's just a memory oh, of his son. How aromatic and fragrant and uh, precious his son is. Uh-huh. But the two offerings that has no smell, that have no smell, um, they don't remind God of because they are but our sons. So there's no reminder of God. So there's no aroma. Those ones are pushed aside because they speak of our sons. Hallelujah. Please are you following? But the sweet smelling offerings, King James uses the word sweet savor. The Hebrew says savor of rest or perfume of rest. The father smells it. In the Hebrew, it is perfume of pleasure and delight. How many of you are married? When your husband or wife uses a nice perfume, you want to give your husband a hug. Because the perfume is too nice. Many of you can't understand, but those who are married understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> they said that you are coming. Come quickly. <laughs> yeah. And, and you see, if you have a friend who you, let's say you had a roommate who used one particular perfume all the four years in school, it will surprise you to know that even after 15 years, when you meet someone with that same perfume, it will give you the memory of your friend. True or false? That's it. You have experience. The way you said true. <laughs> yeah. So the aromatic perfume offerings give God the memory of his son and his excellencies. And God, it gives God delight and pleasure. It is called the savor of rest. God can rest in the work of his son. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. Say ashes. But I want to begin with the ashes of the sun offering. Chapter 4 describes the sun offering. But for you to understand well, we have to read the whole chapter, but I will leave it to you when you go home. A lot of the things I'm speaking about is in the entire chapter. Praise God. But this is how the sin offering was offered. I want to illustrate what I'm talking about. And uh, Pastor Mark, I remember in Tadi I used you as a sin offering, so I feel like using you again. It, it worked. Bishop says I should use you for the sin offering because you really acted very well. Doc, can you be the high priest? Can you be the priest? So, Doc, please stand here. And uh, Pastor Emma, come and be the one, come and be the sinner. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, this is the man. So, I'm acting out the Old Testament. Now, this is the priest. He's in the tabernacle. Now, this is the, the man, the worshiper or the offerer. He has sinned a lot. He has sinned. He's guilty of overspeeding. 
<laughs> then um, he's guilty of loving the beloved too much. <laughs> All right. So he 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 has to go to the priest, but he has to send his offering. Now this is in Leviticus four, and this is how it was done. So this is his offering. So you have your offering, and uh, there are different classes of offerings. But this is a an individual who has sinned. There's an offering for the entire group, the entire nation. The offering for the ruler, the offering for the anointed priest. Now this is an ordinary guy who has sinned, so he takes his offering. So this is his animal. So he goes to the temple and sends it to the priest. So you send it to the priest. See, the animal is crying. All right. So as he comes before the priest, the Bible tells us that now, the priest's first responsibility is that he's going to analyze, examine whether the offering is without blemish, whether it is acceptable. So he has to examine. Now, the word without blemish means, now, blemish is different from sports. Blemish means no, birth in def- no defect in birth. That means one ear is not twisted, one nose is not out of joint, one eye is not blind. It was born correct. So, priest, so you, are, you, you stand before uh, and examine thorough examination. <laughs> All right. So now the priest says it's correct. Praise God. Now, God is amazing. The one who has sinned, when he comes before, the, the, before God, God does not examine him. God examines his offering. <laughs> Hallelujah. So you are not the one God examined. Your offering is Christ. God examined Christ, whether he was a perfect offering for you. Then after the examination, he will come and stand before the offering. Then he will lay hands. On the offering. So please lay hands. Don't worry. He, he's, he's a man, the great man of God, but. No, no. Hands is on the head. On the head. Okay. You've not broken spiritual protocol. Don't worry. The right hand. Yeah. You know what is happening. So after the examination, he lays his hands. And it is called, there are two words that are important imputation, identification. As he lays hands, he identifies all his sins. So, now, you know this man is a sinner. The moment he lays hands, all his sins <laughs> comes on his sacrifice. Every sin he has sinned is imputed here. Praise God. So, you cannot see it with your eye, so, but supernaturally, his sins leave him <laughs> and enter into the offering. Praise God. So the second step is the laying on of hands. Now the third step is that the priest has a knife. So the priest hands over the knife to him. For him to kill the animal. The priest doesn't kill it. To kill. So in those days it was said that the rabbis tell us that they knew certain there was a vein that a 
they will tell the offerer, they will show the offerer the vein. And the knife is very sharp, so you will just make an incision on the vein, and the animal dies. The animal had to die painless because some of the offering were eaten. Because if the animal died with pain, it, it releases poison and toxins in the body. It, it is harmful to eat. Praise God. So he himself had to kill the animal, not the priest. You know why? God wants you to know that it is your sons that killed Jesus. You think it's the Romans or the Jews? No. Your son put him on the cross. So kill, kill the animal. The animal is really dead. <laughs> so the animal dies, then this man goes free. So in the sight of God, this man is without sin. Uh-huh. The death that was to come upon him was averted on his substitute. So he is free because his substitute has taken all the judgment. That's what Jesus did for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. All right. Now, in this chapter, three things are very important. After the animal dies, that's not all. That's not all at all. Okay. Now, different instructions were given to Moses concerning this very animal. He gives specific instructions concerning number one, the blood. The blood of the animal. Number two, the fat of the animal. And number three, the flesh of the animal. If you can understand these three things, you, you will understand the, the sin offering. So the specific instructions is given to the blood. All the blood is poured into a container. Uh-huh. Then later, the fat, specific instructions about the fat had to be removed. Then the last instructions about the flesh. So say the blood. And say the fat. And the flesh. They are all in Leviticus 4. The blood. The fat. And the flesh. Hallelujah. Man of God, please come up for now. Alright. So what we we'll do is that you come, up, you come again. For that, but for now, you are released. Man of God, thank you. What a perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Pastor Mark is a perfect sacrifice. <laughs> Typical sacrifice. <laughs> All right. Praise God. Say the blood. All right. So. The offering dies. And when it dies, the first instruction is about the blood. So when Leviticus 4 opens, it opens with instruction concerning the blood. Now the blood is applied in three places. Now all of this is a photo album, a picture of how the blood of Jesus worked for us. 
Because everything that you saw is all about Jesus Christ. His death and what he did for you. Are you here? So now, the blood was sprinkled or was applied in three places. Three places. Number one, the blood was sprinkled before the veil. You see? And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before the veil, before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary. So this is the first application of the blood. Now you know that the tabernacle had three chambers, the outer court, the holy place, and the holies of holies. You know that. But between the holy place and the most holy or the holiest, there is a thick veil. Now the veil was thick. Now the veil was three to four inches thick. So you cannot hear it. Three to four inches thick. Now it was so high and so strong that it took 60 priests to move it. 60 priests. It was heavy. It was huge. You know what it meant? It's a no-go area. You cannot go in. <laughs> because God's justice is impartial and inflexible that the guilty sinner has no standing. So the veil before him, the veil means it's an impassable barrier. You cannot pass through. That's what it communicated. But as soon as the sin offering dies, the blood is taken and it is sprinkled, as you can see in verse 6, before the veil. It's not sprinkled once. It's sprinkled seven times. You know what it means? Now, the sprinkling of the blood seven times means that now the blood gives us access beyond the veil to meet God face to face. That's what it means. Access. 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 You know, the blood could have been sprinkled once. Because on the mercy seat, the blood is sprinkled once. God just had to see the blood once. But our entry and our stand before him is seven times. God said, make it seven, not once. For God's eyes, one is okay, but for us, we needed seven. Because we are slow of heart to believe what Jesus has done. So he gave us seven, which is the number of perfection and completion. Telling us that our approach before God has been purchased on a perfect foundation. It is completed, completed and it is perfect. The blood has procured for us a perfect standing before God once and for all. Now, you know what it means? The Bible says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10 verse 19. By a new and a living way which he has consecrated for us. Having therefore, brethren, Boldness to where enter into the holiest. How did it happen? By the blood of Jesus. So this sprinkling of the blood is the blood of Jesus. The Bible says, Have a therefore, brethren, boldness. Say boldness. Now the word boldness is parousia in the Greek. Parousia literally means freedom of speech. Freedom. Have a therefore, brethren, freedom of speech. Now in the Greek, the word parousia. Is someone who is so bold that 
An observer will see him to be arrogant and overconfident. That's what the parasia. He's too bold. He's too confident. That's the kind of boldness we have now before the Father. Let me confirm it with Ephesians 3 verse 12. In whom, O Mashatala, we have boldness and access. In whom, in whom we have, say boldness. And say access with confidence. So when you're approaching the Father, we have boldness. <laughs> and we have access. And we have confidence. You know what it means? Today, you can approach the Father any time, any day, any hour, any second, no matter what you have done. You can approach the Father any day, any time, no matter the sin you have committed. And no matter the bad or the evil you have done, you can go freely and nothing happens to you. You know why? Because you are going in the blood. In the blood. When you see the blood, what does it mean? Blood means death has already occurred. When you see blood spilled, death has occurred. The blood means that any judgment or punishment you could ever have suffered has already been paid for you. It has already been paid. The, the blood means that the debt, your debt has been cancelled once, once and for all. Therefore, today, you have total access, complete access. And the key word is, no matter what you have done, that's what I want to emphasize. No matter, no matter your failure, no matter your failure, no matter the magnitude of what you have done, no matter your mistake, nothing happens to you. Nothing happens to you because of... Uh, you need to understand the gospel, my brother. Nothing. Because of the blood. You've been thinking the blood, but you don't know the efficacy, the eternal efficacy of the blood. Jesus paid. You see how I'm walking? I'm walking under in the blood. Nothing happens to you. You think something happened to you? And Jesus' death, blood was, was, was in vain. Anything that could have ever happened to you was already put on Jesus. That's why you should never run away from God. You should never, never run away from God because of that bad thing you've done. No, where are you going? Because the Bible says that, you see, haven't therefore, brethren, boldness, commanded. You see, Abraham, God entered into a covenant with Abraham and the covenant was based on the blood of animals in Genesis 15. And based on that covenant, he had so much boldness before God that he could tell God, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? This is Abraham talking to God. And the authority was based on the blood of animals. Genesis 15. But where do our authority come from? Mabo, Shambara, Sibara, Tamma, Bimboro, Shanda. It is based on the royal blood. The blood of Jesus himself. The blood of God himself. Based on that blood. That's where it comes from. <laughs> so where are you running away from? By a new and a living way. The Bible says that way is new and living. The more you come, the more you live. No matter how much you have messed up, still go. 
Enter and go. Because the more you go, the more you live. Hallelujah. The, the more you are alive. The more you are alive. No matter what you have done. The more you are alive. But pastor, I've committed three abortions. Just walk through the blood. But pastor, I gossiped too much yesterday. Just walk through the blood. Hallelujah. No, you can never be refused. And no judgment can ever come on you because of what? That judgment is already passed. It's passed. Nothing can happen to you. And God accepts you. God has already examined your offering. You are not the one he's examining. And your offering is accepted. Do you understand? You are not the one he's examining. He, he examined. It's Pastor Mark God examined. <laughs> yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I, many people are running away from God. There was this lady, she told me, oh, she used to be in a choir, she was so powerful. And somehow, somehow, um, something happened with her, she and her boyfriend. They used to call her sister Oja. Because she was crystal crazy. <laughs> so when that thing happened, she quit the choir quit church for one year she couldn't go to church and she was going she felt that she was going backward backward started having other friends yeah other friends the university students I was talking about I'm talking about other friends that are going far 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 you know why she was going far because of guilt and condemnation far away and you know what started happening Worst things were not happening. Worse. Praise God. But someone found her and brought her to my house. And she was going back jubilating. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I wanted to go back to jubilating. Yeah. Because the blood has been sprinkled. All your judgment has been laid on your offering, which is Christ. You are free. No matter what you have done, to so work free, freedom. Now, am I telling you to go and mess up? Is that what I said? That's what I'm saying. But I'm saying that you have liberty because of the blood. If you were already perfect, there wouldn't have been blood for you to go through. The blood of Jesus is for your imperfections, it has been paid for you. Sprinkled seven times. You see what God did? Seven times, not once. It's perfect. Your standing before God now is perfect. It has nothing to do with your works. Whether you have read the Bible or not, or not read the Bible. Whether you have fasted or not fasted. Not, this thing has nothing to do with your stand before God. Praise God. Whether no Bible break, hey, how do you call it? Bible before breakfast. No Bible, no breakfast. It's, it's good. But if there comes breakfast before Bible, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Because there are those who can't meditate when they are hungry. So you can go ahead, ahead and eat. (laughs) 
Hallelujah. Now, verse 7. So the blood is first sprinkled before the veil. Number 2. The second place where it was sprinkled was. And the priest has put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of the sweet incense before the Lord. Now there were two altars. There was the brazen altar and the golden altar. The brazen altar is brass. The golden altar is gold. Okay. The altar of sacrifice is called the brazen altar. That was at the outer courts. When you enter the tabernacle, you see the altar of sacrifice. But the altar is speaking now is the altar the last item before you enter through the veil. It is called the altar of sweet incense. For that altar, only incense was burnt on it. The first altar, the animals were killed on it. But this altar was just before the veil. Incense were burnt on it. Hallelujah. So that altar had four horns. Now the altars had four horns. So the blood was poured upon the horns of the altar, the sweet incense. Now incense in the Bible describes prayer. Incense is your prayer life, your intercession. If incense is your worship or your praise, that's incense. Yeah, in the Bible, like Psalm 141 verse 2, let my prayer be set forth as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Throughout the scriptures, incense is prayer, intercession, then praise, worship. We are all incense before God. Hallelujah. Now look at the next thing Jesus did with his blood. Horns in the Bible stands for power and authority. So there, were, there are horns at the altar. So the blood was poured in the horns. Horns is power and authority. Power and authority. Hallelujah. Today something has happened. Your prayer, your worship, your praise. The authority and the power for which your prayer and praise and worship is accepted is on the grounds of the blood of Jesus. It's on the grounds of the blood of Jesus. What it means is that. Now, assuming we are worshiping, the power is leading. And uh, we are all, everyone is worshiping in spirit. And as you're worshiping, you just remember that you have some Tuazafi in the, in the house. It's getting cold. So whilst your, your hand is lifted, it's just Tuazafi. That just... David said, I've said the Lord before my face. But you know that what, towards our feet is before your face. But we are worshipping. So what do you do? Because you can't concentrate. You, you, then your mind go back. What do you do? The good news is that it will do nothing to you. Just ignore it. The blood has taken care of it. Take care of it. That's why it was poor. Take care of it. Or you are worshiping, 
And sometimes, maybe the person is just worshiping and the person is leading. But your mind is on the person's shoe. Like the way, you see how nice my shoe is. So as I watch your eyes just saw my shoe and your, your mind left the Lord. And you're just thinking, this shoe is nice. Oh, how will I get one? When? If I get it for my wedding, it'll be nice. So, so for about two minutes, you're occupied with the shoe. Meanwhile, we are worshiping before the throne. Then you come to yourself. What do you do? Ignore it. The blood has taken care of it. Ignore it. It has nothing against you. The blood has taken care of it. Praise God. Yeah. Because sometimes, as you are praying, your mind can go for five minutes, two of us. Especially when you are fasting. You start, you start considering every kind of food. Whether you break with jollof rice or with indomie. Then you start picturing all the centers where they sell food. You say, I know things. Yeah, because me too, I experienced some. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Especially when it is dry fast end. Sometimes as you are praying, you're watching it takes a long time for 10 minutes to come. Yeah. You shouldn't feel bad for it. Just ignore it and concentrate on the Lord. So when you are worshipping, praising or praying and thought comes, it could be evil thought. Don't get troubled. Don't get troubled. The horns. God foreknew it. And God knows it. That is why he secured it already with the horns. The blood. He foreknew it. Yeah. Yeah. Someone was preaching and two ladies were sitting down discussing about how handsome the preacher is. Meanwhile, the word of God was coming. <laughs> so, ah, this preacher, if I get him. <laughs> to have him as a husband is not bad at all. <laughs> Sometimes as you are worshiping, you open your eyes and you see the sister. As you open your eyes, you go like, what is God saying? This sister is truly a wife material. Look at her smiles alone. Praise God. <laughs> so everyone think you are before, you, are, you have ascended. But only you know that you are, you are, you are nowhere. <laughs> the blood has secured it. Everywhere. And four corners actually speaks of the earth. The number four is the number of the earth. So the efficacy of the blood is not just for the Jew. It cuts across every, everyone. It's the whole earth. Wherever we are, the authority of the blood and its power reaches us. And the incense 
The worship, the prayer, its efficacy is already secured by the blood. Hallelujah. Now the third place the blood was sprinkled or was poured in was at the, at the base of the burnt offering. The altar of the burnt offering. So this is the first altar. So that altar, the rest of the blood is poured at the base. So it was three. One was before the veil. The second one was, the first one was before the veil. That's our, our approach before God, our access. The second one was at the incense altar. Our prayer, worship. The last one was at the base of the altar of sacrifice. It is called the altar of the burnt offering. Hallelujah. Now this altar is where the sinner meets God. The altar stands for claims, God's claims. Because the altar is where the animals are killed. So obviously we see the claims of God's inflexible justice. But the blood of Jesus meets all the claims. It meets all the claims. And when all the claims are met, the blood is poured at the base. That's the last place God's claim is satisfied. And the last place where the blood of Jesus deals with is our conscience. Our conscience. The blood of Jesus also deals with your conscience. Actually, God wanted his people to have perfect conscience. Hebrews 9 verse 9. Perfect conscience. Hebrews 9 verse 9. Which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining the conscience. All that was done in the Levitical economy could not perfect the conscience. The Bible said it could not make the conscience perfect. But Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without support unto God, purged our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Praise God. Now, for your intimacy with God to be perfect, the blood does with your conscience. You know the conscience? The conscience is responsible for guilt and condemnation. Anytime you are guilty, it's your conscience. Anytime you feel condemned, it's your conscience. It's the voice of your conscience. Now, God never wanted his people to have any debt on their conscience. To have debt on your conscience is to say, Hey, I have sinned, though. I have sinned. What has this sin against me? Oh, hey, I'm owing. I have sinned, though. I did something. That is sin consciousness. That means you have debt on your conscience. God knew that that was going to prevent his people from having intimacy with him. So the blood of Jesus perfected our conscience once and for all. Hebrews 10, 1 and 2 is there. Once and for all. Your conscience. What it means is that because Jesus paid your debt, you are owing someone 10,000 Ghana. And a friend of yours had it and pays for you, but he pays 20,000 Ghana. If you see your creditor, will he run away? You go for change. (laughs) 
Bishop says you go for change. You'll be so bold, you, you never run away. But if it was told you that, oh, your friend only paid 5000 then you are still not settled. Yeah, because your conscience is a student of your belief. God has done it already. God has removed every guilt, every condemnation. It is gone. Because he, he says the worshippers once purged should have had no more consciousness of sin. You should never say, hey, I've sinned though. Well, God has saved me. It's, it's an insult to the, to the blood of Jesus actually. Well, God has saved me. That is what he wants you to avoid. But without the, the true knowledge of God, you have it. Because your conscience is a student of your belief. What you hear and believe, your conscience responds to it. That's why you need the word of God. Praise God. Once and for all. When Jesus died, your guilt died. When Jesus died, your condemnation died. Hallelujah. The Bible says there's not therefore. No condemnation. I explained it in one of the churches. The word no con. There's not therefore no. Say no. no. Yeah. The word no is the word udis in the, in the Greek. Udis. Udis is a Greek word compounded of two words, u and heis. Now, u actually means not. Actually, whenever you see not, it's u, o u. Or whenever you see not or no, it's u, o u. But this word no is it's not o u. There's another word added, heis, h e i s, compounded words. Udis is compounded, compounded of U and Heis. And Heis is the Greek for one. So U is no and Heis is... Sorry, U is not and Heis is what? One. So the word Udis means not one. So you read it this way. There is now therefore, there is therefore now not one condemnation against those. Udis, U and Heis, not one. Praise God. The blood of Jesus secured your conscience. Your conscience has no more right to testify against you, even if you are wrong. You have to fast in the blood. Hallelujah. Otherwise, your fellowship with God, after conscience, it, it always condemns. You don't need to do the wrong thing for the conscience to condemn you. I'm telling you. Your conscience can condemn you for not reading five chapters. Why do you read two chapters? Yeah. Your conscience can condemn you for not praying for three hours. Why did you pray for one hour? So after the conscience, I mean, it's wild. So you don't have to allow it to. It has been perfected. So don't allow guilt and condemnation. Hallelujah. So the blood, please are you following so, we spoke of the sin offering and the direction this chapter speaks of. Instructions on the blood, the fat, and the flesh. Now we have finished the blood. The blood was sprinkled on three places. Or applied on three places. The veil, the incense altar, and the what? The bottom of the... You are a good Bible student. Hallelujah. All right. That means if you have to write exam on what I'm saying, you'll pass. Hallelujah. 
The next item is the fat. We finished the blood. Instruction was given on the fat. Thank you very much for the scripture. And he shall take off from it all the fat of the bullock for the sin offering. Now the word fat is mentioned many times. And the fat that covereth the inwards. And all the fat that is upon the inwards. The fat, fat, fat. The next verse. And the two kidneys. And the fat that is upon them. Praise God. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Now, what, what is fat? Now, in the Bible, when God says, I'll give you the fat of the land, actually it implies, I'll give you the best of the land. So fat means the best part, the richest part, the choicest part. Fat is the best. Fat is the best. So fat is the is riches, divine riches, the best part. But see, fat is bent to produce energy. When fat is bent, energy is produced. So fat also speaks of strength. Strength, divine strength. Divine energy. But the Bible calls this the fat of the inward. The fat of the inward. So he's talking about the strength and the riches of his inward life. The strength and the riches of his inward life. Now we are talking about Christ. The strength and the riches of his inward life. Praise God. Follow me carefully. Are you here? So now, we had a sacrifice. The blood has been poured away. Now it's left with the flesh. The flesh. But before instructions are given on the flesh, he says that remove all the fat from the intestines. Take all the fat. So now he takes all the fat. Praise God. Something happens. I told you that the sin offering is a, is, 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 is a which kind of offering was that? It's a non it's not a sweet smelling offering. Is that not so? But there's a certain portion of the sin offering that's a sweet smelling offering. It's amazing. The fat is taken out. And the fat is brought on the altar of the burnt offering. And it is burnt as a sweet-smelling offering. So only the fat is a sweet-smelling offering, but the rest is not. There's a reason for it. <laughs> only the fat. The fat is burnt. In fact, the, the rest, the rest, when I say this, I'm still referring to you. So picture, the rest, the sin offering is not burnt on the altar. It is burnt outside the camp. I'll explain. Because you see, the burnt offering, as I explained, is about Jesus, so the Father smells it. But sin was taken from the Father's side, the Lord's side. Sin was taken from the tabernacle and from the dwelling of the people. So it had to be taken outside where they, they dwelt. And the whole of the flesh was burnt outside. It will come to the flesh. But before it was burnt outside the camp, the fat is bent on the altar of the burnt offering. And it ascends as what? A sweet-smelling savor. So although the burnt offering is something that is sin, there's an aspect of it that the Father enjoys. You know what it means? Hallelujah. 
Now all of this is about Jesus. Now God is communicating to us. Jesus bore our sins in his flesh. But he himself was sinless and was perfect. So the inward is representing who he is inwardly. His inherent spotlessness and intrinsic excellencies. You know, his perfections. That's how Jesus is on the inside. His sinlessness is what qualified him to bear our sins. If he was not sinless, sinless, he wouldn't have qualified to bear our sins. Praise God. Now understand this. When Jesus was on the cross, where did he bear our sins? Because the Bible said he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But where? Where did he bear our sin? Listen. Our sins, he bore our sins in his body. Our sins never entered his blood. He didn't bear our sins in his blood. No. That's why the blood was first separated. Because the blood was for the cleansing of our sins. Number two, the sin, his sin never, our sin was not born on his spirit. You see, his life was in his spirit. That is the fact which God had to separate first. God had to separate the fact that had to be bent to God. But the flesh, the sons were actually, so when hands, please come, please, please come. When hands were laid on the offering, all the sons were passed to the flesh of the animal. The sons didn't affect the blood, the sons didn't affect the fat. Praise God. It didn't affect the blood, it didn't affect the fat. So Jesus, when he was made sin, the sins didn't affect his blood. Is the blood, how can the sin affect the blood? The blood is stronger than the sin. Is the blood that cleanses the sin. Praise God. And with Jesus, his inward life, his spirit. You see, Jesus didn't bear our sins on the spirit, but in his body. Let me give you scriptures. 1 Peter 2 verse 24. 1 Peter 2 24. Look at what it said. Who his own self bear our sons in his spirit. No. In his own body. On the tree. He bore our sons in his body. That we being dead to sons should live unto righteousness. Hebrews 10 verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings, thou wouldest not, but a body has thou prepared me. A body was to fulfill the typical offerings. A body. First Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also has once suffered for us, the just, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, it was in the flesh. In the flesh. So this is what happened. Because in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 16 this is describing Jesus who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment but after the power of an endless life. Now the, the word endless, normally endless is ion. But that's not a word used here. Eternal life, eternal life is, is ion, um, ionos, 
Zoe. But the word here is Akatalutos Zoe. It's not Ionos Zoe. Akatalutos Zoe, which is the word for indissoluble life. Indissoluble life. Jesus came by the power of an indissoluble life. That means that that life cannot be dissolved. There's no solvent on earth that can dissolve that life. Now, there are certain solvent solutions that can dissolve metals, true or false. I think acid can dissolve so many things. Uh, so almost everything can be dissolved by something, a kind of solution. The human body <laughs> is dissolvable. It's dissolvable. But Jesus' life, the Bible says it cannot be dissolved. When sin is placed on his life, do you think sin can dissolve the divine life? Ah. If sin can conquer the indissoluble life, then sin can conquer God. This is God's life. Sin was not laid on the blood because sin cannot conquer the blood. It's the blood that cleanses sin. So of the fat of the flesh and of the blood, sin was only laid on the flesh. Nothing with the blood, nothing with the fat. So when Jesus was on the cross, his spirit was intact because his spirit contained God's life. It is indissoluble life. Nothing can dissolve it. Sin cannot even dissolve it. That is why he himself had the power to lay down his life and to take it again. To take it again. He himself had the power. <laughs> the Bible said, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bringeth forth much fruit. If you put a corn of wheat, a seed, on the ground, you know what happens? Whilst the outward shell is dying, the inward life is springing forth. So, so there is termination outwardly and germination inwardly. Outwardly it is terminated, but inwardly it is germinated. So whilst it is dying, life is springing forth. So whilst Jesus' outward body was dying, his life was springing forth. So one corn of wheat went, fell into the ground and died and produced different kernels of wheat. So when this life went through death, when the divine life goes through death, death cannot conquer that life. When life goes through death, it is untainted, untouched, unscathed by death. After it has gone through death, it is multiplied. Death actually multiplies the divine life. So when Jesus came out of death, he became a mass reproduction. He came with the church. The church is a mass reproduction of Christ. Hallelujah. So that is it. So in type, it was illustrated beautifully for, for us. Look at what God did. God separated the blood and separated the flesh before he came to deal with the sons on the, on, on the animal's body. That is why the, this flesh is a non-smelling civil. But what is within is something that is precious to God. That is the uniqueness and the excellences of his life. Hallelujah. Please, do you understand? Yeah. Because there's a lot of controversy in this area. <laughs> yeah. But the cross was enough. When he said it is finished, it was truly finished. Hallelujah. Thank you very much. Now, 
The third one, the flesh. Who can carry this man of God? Okay, you, you, okay, come and carry your offering. You can carry him. So no, so you, because you died, so die. Now, so at this stage, oh, it can also come. Aha, uh-huh, the priest wants to help you. At this stage, the blood is gone. The flesh is gone. Sorry, the fat is gone. It's left with the flesh. The flesh is carried outside the camp because the flesh is what contains the sins that was passed on. And the sins must not be bent in God's sight. It must be bent outside the camp. That's why Jesus died outside the gate. The Bible said, let us therefore go forth unto him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So, they carry. Can you carry him? Carry him outside the camp. Hallelujah. <laughs> Pastor Mark, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Pastor Mark. Brother Jim, can you come? Can you come with the ashes? And come with the uh, Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. So now, as he was carried, as the animal is carried outside the camp, this is what happens. He is carried to a place, a, a, a designated place, and the whole beast, the whole animal is bent. The Bible calls it a clean place. And it is bent. Praise God. Now, remember that when hands were laid on the animal, all, all the sins were imputed to the animal. Huh. The animal dies. But as if it's not enough, it is carried outside the camp and they set fire on it. And they burn it and they burn it and they have to burn it until it becomes ashes. So the fire is great. No bone is left. No skin is left. Nothing is left. And the Greek word actually speaks of ashes like fine dust. Like this type. This is so fine. I don't know how you did it. It's finer than sand. Okay, please put it down. Alright. So these are actually ashes. Now, God gave instruction that everything should be bent. But when everything is bent, the ashes had to be carried. Now, they carry the ashes in the pan. Among the requirements of the instrument of the tabernacle was a pan. There were pans, there were shovels. So the pan, they collected it in the pan. And there is a place called a clean place. 
They take it and they go and put it in a clean place. And the ashes are preserved. The ashes are preserved. God doesn't want to lose the ashes. They are preserved in a clean place. Praise God. Now, why were the ashes preserved? And what are ashes? Ashes, now look at this building. Anything you burn is reduced to ashes. Ashes are the, are the final irreducible state of matter. When you burn something to ashes, you cannot burn it again. It cannot be burnt again. It has been reduced to its final state. It is irreducible. So it is the final irreducible state of matter. And it is incorruptible. Nothing can be done. It's, it's in its final state. It's permanent. It's just there. So God allowed it to be preserved. For what? For a memorial. A memorial. Hallelujah. Now, what are the reasons for the ashes? Why were they preserved in a clean place? Why did God instruct that the ashes should be kept? Why? This thing is so nice that I wonder if you add sugar and milk, how it tastes like. <laughs> Praise God. Now, the ashes, number one, is a proof that judgment is over and gone. Judgment is past. The ashes are a proof that judgment is already past. That judgment has thoroughly done its work and it's past. Now, if you see ashes like this, the proof is that something has been burnt. The burning is past. This is the proof that there was burning. Now, fire in the Bible is a symbol of God's judgment. Fire is judgment. It is a symbol of God's wrath. God's wrath. You see, sin must be punished because God is inflexibly just. And the wages of sin is death. So the offerer, the fire had to come upon the one who brought the offering. But now, the fire is averted on his substitute. So all the fire, which speaks of God's vengeance, God's wrath, now comes upon his substitute. And everything is bent. But the ashes are a proof that justice has been met. Judgment has been saved. It is now over. The ashes are a proof that justice has been duly met. It is over and gone. Whenever you see ashes, it means your sin has already been judged. But do you know why it is there? Because this is, this is actually your sin. But the fire came upon it and it is reduced to this state. Yeah. So the fire has touched it. But when you burn something to ashes, can you burn ashes? That's the final state. Judgment is over and gone. Your sins cannot be judged again. 
<laughs> All our sons were judged on Jesus. The believer understand that our sons have, have already been judged. Believers are not going to be judged for sin. Our judgment is the bimacy judgment. It's the judgment of our works. But there is a judgment which is also called the great white throne judgment. All those who don't receive Christ. You know, on that day, the great white throne judgment. That happens thousand years after we go to heaven. The great white throne judgment is for all those who never received Christ as Savior. Everyone, now, there are different kinds of judgment. The first major judgment is the judgment of sin that happened on the cross. The second judgment is the bimacy judgment for believers. It is not a judgment unto condemnation, a judgment unto recommendation. How we lived for him and what we did for him. Crowns. Differences in glory. That's the judgment. And there's a great white throne judgment, which is for unbelievers, those who never received, accepted Christ. On that day, you know what they are saying? God, we didn't, we didn't need you to give us an exchange, someone to bear our punishment. All along, we wanted to bear it ourselves. So here are we, we are ready to bear it ourselves. That's what it means. Everyone who don't receive Jesus on that day now receives all the judgment on himself. That is why they will be burned forever, eternally, in the lake of fire. Because they refused God's offering for them. They said, no, we don't want him. Oh, why? We want to bear, take it ourselves. We want to burn ourselves. We don't. So that's what will happen. But everyone who is in Christ has already escaped judgment. Already escaped past judgment. The thing is that you have already been judged. The burning was in your name. The Father saw it as though you were experiencing it. So it is once, once and for all. You know why? Because the cross is timeless. You need to understand the timelessness of the cross. Whatever was accomplished on the cross was timeless once and for all. Now let me show you something. Revelation 13 verse 8. Revelation 13 verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We have told that Jesus was slain from where? The foundation of the world. 6,000 years ago. Okay. Revelation 5, verse 6. And I beheld and lo, in a mist. Now this is John, who was taken to heaven. When Jesus, this happened in, in the cave of Revelation in Patmos. Which was close to 90, 90 years John was between 95 years or something like that. John was aged. John. All right. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. Now the Greek says that stood a lamb as it was just, it was just killed. 
The Greek says it was freshly slain or it was just killed. That's what the Greek says. So, John saw that the lamb was just killed. As though the lamb was killed right now. Yet the same book of Revelation says that the lamb was killed from the foundations of the world. So, what is the Bible saying? So, when, when was the lamb slain? So, John saw the lamb that it was just killed. Just killed. And, and that was about 70 years or something. When Jesus died, or 60 years, something. That was after. So, how can the lamb... So, when did the, was the lamb slain? Is it from the foundations of the world? So, from the time of John and the time the world was... The time of Adam is 4,000 years. So, hallelujah. But all this is to show you the timelessness of the cross. Before Jesus died, all those who came before him looked forward to the cross for their salvation. All, all of us who came after him look backward to the cross for our salvation. They look forward, we look backward. But in the mind of God, the whole thing is timeless. So whatever Jesus did, its effect is forever. That's when, when, when Jesus took your sons. He took you. Ah, when he took your sons, you were not even there. Were you born? All your sons were in the future. So he took all your sons from when you be born to when you see him face to face. All were taken away. Because they were all in the future. <laughs> yeah. Praise God. Uh-huh. So, John 5 verse 24, ASV. John 5 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth him that sent me hath eternal, eternal life. He has it. And cometh not into judgment. Say, I will not come into judgment. You will not come into judgment. So right now, understand it. The fire fell on an innocent victim for you. So you have escaped judgment forever. If God judges you, it's called the law of double jeopardy. If God judges you, it means God was, was not satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ. Judge you. You've already escaped. It has already been paid. You understand what I'm talking about? That's the gospel. Alright, maybe you think you come to, to judgment. Let me give you a few, few scriptures to settle your mind. Romans 5 verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So on the last day, God's wrath can never come on the believer in Christ Jesus. Look at this verse. We shall, shall is future tense, be saved from wrath. First Thessalonians 1 verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us, past tense, from the wrath to come. There's going to be wrath that is coming, but we have already been what? Delivered. First Thessalonians 5, verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. So you, you have no appointment to wrath. You have no appointment with hell 
or the great tribulation. All of these are called wrath. All of these are called wrath. Yeah. By the way, Isaiah 54, verse 9. God can never be angry with you again. You know that. God can say God can never be angry with me. Now, Isaiah 53 is the cross, is the gospel. Now, the Bible, Paul calls it the gospel. Who has believed our report? Uh-huh. So, after Isaiah 53, which is a story of the cross, what happened to Jesus? Then we have Isaiah 54, which op- opens with the blessing that comes after the cross. So, verse 1 says, Sing, O barren. After the cross, the whole chapter, have you ever read Isaiah 53? Everything is about the cross. Have you ever read it before? Chapter 54 says, Sing, O barren. So, because Jesus died, if you are barren financially, start singing. If you are barren in your spiritual life, start singing. If you are barren maritally, start singing. That means where you are not fruitful, start singing because he already paid for it. Sing. After the cross, we need to sing. Sing. He said it is finished. All those troubles, they are finished. Let's go back to our verse, verse 9. For this is as the, for this is as the waters of Noah unto me. What Jesus did. For as I have sworn by the waters of Noah, that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. Hmm. After the cross, when Jesus was on the cross, he took the fire. All of God's anger, the throne of eternal justice, the anger, the condemnation, all came upon him, wave upon wave, until God's wrath and anger was exhausted. Now God turns to you, God says, I have sworn. You know what it means to swear? God swore by himself. That means, if this thing I'm saying doesn't come to pass, I'll stop being God. He swore by his Godhead, I'll never be wroth with thee. So, if someone says God is angry with you, the person's a liar. It's a liar. It's a liar. God has sworn. You know what it means for God to swear? I will not. Is it this like what happened in Noah's time? I, I will never. Why? It all came upon Jesus. Praise God. So the dust says that. Look at the dust. Can it be bent again? All your sons, past, present, and future, are bent in ashes. So they're starting to bend. And God reserved it as a proof that, look, look at, look at it. It's done. When he said it is finished, there's nothing to finish again. It's done. It's done. Praise God. So, so judgment is behind you. There's no more judgment. There's no more judgment. Let every fear be gone. Except you don't believe what well, believe in what Jesus did. The Father accepts it as yours. If the Father punishes you for what he punished Jesus, the Father will be unjust. Unjust. It will be against his throne. Hallelujah. 
are, are you here? Now, let me give you the second reason for the, for the ashes. Please take this thing for me. All right. Take it and go and use it to hit the head of anyone you want. It's just a joke. Now, assuming, practical, I use this wood to butcher his head with all my strength. I use it like What do you think will, hap- think will happen to him? Bishop says his wife will cry. <laughs> will hit his head. I mean, let's say 20 times. You know he can die. You know I can, I can, you can kill someone with this. Alright. Because it has power. It has strength. It has ability. But when you bend this to ashes like this and I point on him will he die let me show you why God reserved the ashes listen the ashes were reserved and if someone comes before the priest and the person is unclean they take the ashes and they pour it upon the person why for what reason was the ashes poured upon a person? God wants you to know that some normal has dominion over you. Now God wants you to know that your sins are not ashes. Sin has lost its power. Sin has lost its life. Sin has lost its tinge. Sin has lost its strength. Sin has lost its ability. Sin is just an empty shell. An empty shell. These are burned out cinders. They are burned out cinders. No more dominion. No more power. So, before it was burnt, it could kill. It could butcher you. It could have dominion over you. But now, you see God's wisdom. He made the ashes. He had to preserve it. If you come and you are unclean, they will sprinkle it on you. What was God informing you? God wants you to know that the power of sin and the stinge of sin and sin's dominion over you is over. Sin cannot rule over you. You have the power over sin. That's what he said. For sin shall not have dominion over you, because ye are not under the law, but under grace. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You are saying, oh, sin is conquering me. They are ashes. What about... For 15 weeks, masturbation has dominion over me. I came to tell you that that masturbation is ashes. But man of God, how about pornography? I see pornography as this wood. No, I came to tell you that it is bent. They are ashes. 
But man of God, what about laziness? It is ashes. Man of God, what about gossip? It is ashes. Man of God, my problem is fornication. It has power over me. I came to tell you it is ashes. All that has been dominating you, God wants you to know that it no more has power over you. The sting is gone. The life is gone. The power is gone. The strength is gone. The ability is gone. You have to know what he gave you. You have to know that guilt is gone. Condemnation is gone. He gave you the power over it. Jesus conquered sin. Jesus prevailed over sin. You have the dominion. You have the upper hand. You have the life of God. You have the grace of God. You have the wisdom of God. Christ is your righteousness. Christ is your sanctification. Christ is your wisdom. You can walk with God. You can walk with glory. You are not a slave. You are not a slave to sin. You are not a slave. We are masters. Servants of righteousness. Imprisoned to righteousness. We are masters. We are rulers. We reign. We don't say you cannot it has been done don't say you cannot it has been done these are but dust and rich ashes it has no more power over you you are rising up today and as you walk out of this auditorium you are prevailing you are ruling you are conquering you are dominating you are a master you reign in life you are in victory the life of God is stayed in you it's invigorated you are the son of God hey it has no more dominion you have to speak to that 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 addiction and say addiction this is your end addiction you are just dust and ashes you have to speak to it I'm the son of God where the word of the king is there is power hey I speak to it I rule I reign you are ashes you cannot prevail the iron rule of sin is broken the iron rule of sin is broken Ramashende Ramashende the thraldom of sin is broken Rabale Shabale 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 Thank you, Jesus. You see, God, God wants you to renew your mind. So it was just poured. It was just poured. It cannot rule you again. You are more than a conqueror. The only way you can allow sin to rule you is when you come under guilt and condemnation who Jesus took away there is now therefore not one condemnation not one not one not one now the word condemnation in Romans 8 1 in the Greek actually also means strengthlessness to be without strength when you come at the condemnation there is no strength now the Bible said in Romans 7 verse 24 Apostle Paul said Oh wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death 
Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You know what it means? Let me show you what it means. Um, I need a, 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 a strong man here. Come. Uh, you are going to carry someone, and uh, someone who is very small. No, not someone who is very small. Can, can you carry the prophet? I said, can you? He said, Charlie. Okay. Okay. So, can you carry him? Carry him at your back. Now, in those days, in, in, in Rome, in the Roman Empire, if you commit murder to someone, you know what they do? They will take the one you murdered and they will tie the person at your back. You are not permitted to take the person out. They will tie you. And wherever you go, whatever you do, the person is at, at your back until the, the dead decomposes. Yes. That, that's the verse. If you carry an encum- encumbrance of a lifeless body. That's the meaning of the word wretched. The, word, the body of this death. That's what it means. So wherever you go, you go to the market. You are carrying a dead body. You go to the washroom, you are carrying a dead body. You go to school, carrying a dead body. That's what it means, the body of this death. Now death means weakness in its highest extremity. That's death. Now if you slap a dead body, can a dead body slap you back? Uh-huh. For this cause, some are weak Others are sick and some are falling asleep. It begins with weakness, migrate into weakness, migrate into sickness, and ex- in extremity, it is death. Weakness in its highest extremity. So now, carrying the equivalence of a dead body, the body of this death means that you are so weak, you carry death, you cannot live for God. You cannot fulfill the will of God. See, anything about God, you don't, you don't want to do it. You feel such weakness. Is God. Paul said, Oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The next verse. Oh wow. Now the next verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Most of the time I, I wouldn't explain everything. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. The next verse. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Is he heavy? I wanted you to stand for about 30 minutes for you to feel what Paul meant when he said a body of this death. <laughs> Can you imagine? You carry it. Those guys were, you carry it everywhere. The one you made it. And this is what the illustration, Paul used that as a figure to describe how weak the body is in fulfilling the will of God. Thank you very much. Hallelujah. But now, he said, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, the word here means that, so there is sin and death. He's not saying it has freed me from sin and death or it has delivered me from sin and death. Let me give an example. There are some watches, if it is raining and you walk in the rain, it will stop working. You know that. So if you run under a shed, you are delivered from the rain 
or you are freed from the rain. This is not a free, this is not the kind of freedom God has given us. That's not the kind of freedom. You you come under a shelter. That means you are delivered from the rain. But that means that the rain has power over you. That means the rain is still your master. Is that not so? Uh-huh. It still has dominion over you. So when he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. He's not saying, it has freed me. No. It means you are death free. And sin free. That's what he's talking about. But if you have a watch that is water resistant. And you walk through the rain. Now the rain has no more power over the watch. That is what it means. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. You are now masters over death, sin, and death. Now I want you to just go and meditate. The thing that is troubling me, Jesus has taken away the power of sin. It cannot dominate me. You see, spiritual advancement doesn't come by doing. It comes by seeing. To see is to be. The moment you see, ah, is that so? Your faith comes alive. And when faith comes alive, you live by the faith of the Son of God. You prevail over all your addictions. You rule over them. You see yourself on top with joy. Hallelujah. Say ashes. Anything that is worrying you, look at the thing and say ashes. One more time, ashes. You see, when you speak it, for instance, what is worrying you? Now you are speaking by revelation. You are ashes. You have no power over me. You know what is happening? When you believe, you have to speak. We also have the same spirit of faith. According as it is written, I believe, therefore, have I spoken. We also believe, therefore, have we also spoken. So, the spirit of faith is a speaking faith. See, your addiction, you are ashes. You can't prevail over me. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from you. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a ruler. Keep confessing it before you realize you are emerging a master. You're already a master. It will, it will, it will manifest. So amazing. The Bible says, if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an hyphar sprinkling the unclean Sanctify it unto the purifying of his flesh. How much more shall the blood, Hebrews 9 verse 13 of Jesus. Hebrews 9 13 speaks of the ashes of an hypha. The ashes. Hebrews 9 13. The ashes of an hypha. So what happened was that if someone is unclean and the ashes will be mixed with water, Purification and it is sprinkled on him. When it is sprinkled, he came unclean, but the moment it's sprinkled, he becomes clean. So when the ashes are sprinkled on you, it cleanses you. But what is God telling us? The ashes are proof that you will, not, you will not be judged for your sins because sin is already judged. So that takes away condemnation. The ashes are also a proof that your sins have no more power over you. That is dominion. When this thing is poured over you, you are sanctified, you are made holy. What sanctified means holy. <laughs> so you don't have to work in sanctification. Jesus said, 
Sanctify them by that word. That word is truth. When you are in the word, you are sanctified. Jesus said, ye are clean, cleansed or clean through the word which I have spoken to you. When the word comes to you like that, that's a way of sanctifying you. So, if you think you are unclean, allow the ashes to be poured on you. You know what it means? Then it means that you have to carry the revelation that I'm no more judged for my sins. My judgment has been placed on my offering. So condemnation, I'm no more condemned. And number two, the revelation that sin no more has power over me. They are ashes. This revelation will cause you to be set apart. <laughs> the ashes sanctifies. you be set, set apart. You prevail. Hallelujah. When you miss it, don't think you're going to be judged for it. Jesus took your judgment once and for all. Jesus took, Jesus paid for your next sin. If he didn't pay for your next sin, then you would have to come and die again. But by one sacrifice, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. But this man, after he had offered up one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. He sat. Now, until you have this revelation, you will never be free from sin. Until you know how much you have been forgiven. And know that God is not going to judge you for your sins. And know that sin has no power over you. It is ashes. You never walk in freedom. This is God's way. Because that's the truth. That's the wisdom of God. Marokatai. Say judgment is past. It's gone forever. Songs, let's go to Songs of Solomon 2 verse 11. Man of God, I want you to go back. I'm enjoying your presence. But yeah. Oh. That's no more dominion. Come break your head again. It's ashes. So the devil will bring this thing to kick your head. The devil is bringing masturbation. To hit your word. The devil says it is wood, but you are seeing ashes. <laughs> that say ashes. <laughs> oh no, you keep the ashes. Uh, uh, you keep the ashes. <laughs> uh, the power is gone. What I have here is ashes. <laughs> songs of songs. 2 verse 11. For lo, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. Hallelujah. <laughs> the winter is past. <laughs> in, uh, winter is a symbol of death in the Bible. <laughs> winter is a symbol of death in the Bible. It's cold, it's biting, it's death in the Bible. Now the rain here is winter rain. Now in the Bible there is spring rain and winter rain. Spring rain is also a symbol of judgment. Like the rain that came in the days of Noah. That rain was judgment was judgment. That rain was judgment. So this is winter rain. The winter is past. The rain is over and gone. My brother, my sister. Judgment is over and gone. Hallelujah. We have the ashes. The next verse. Flowers appear in the air. The time of the singing of the bird has come. The appearance of flowers, flowers speaks of resurgence of activity. 
Now, that speaks of springtime. In Israel, the appearance of flower is spring. In the Bible, winter is death and spring is resurrection. It's resurrection. The death, the death, the judgment is passed. We are now in the resurrection. And in the resurrection, flowers appear in the earth. Two things happen. Flowers appearing in the earth. Now, flowers speaks of the adornment of beauty. Then there is a time of the singing of the birds. Flowers stands for beauty. Birds stands for music. Now, but flowers and birds speaks of God's care. In the Bible, flowers and birds speaks of God's care. God's tender care. Jesus said, Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they, do they who have gathered into bands, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. And consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Let I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. That is the birds and flower. It's a description of the Father's hair. Hallelujah. Now that the winter time is gone and the winter rain is gone, we are in spring season. We are under the Father's care. Hallelujah. And the time of the, the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The voice of the turtle. You remember that Noah's flood when it ended, the turtle came, the dove came, and gave the sign that the judgment was over. The rain was over. The voice of the turtle is the voice of praise. So now that the judgment is over, we are under the Father's care. What we are doing, we are just loving his love and being under his care. And we are praising the voice of the turtle. Hallelujah. My brother, judgment is past and gone. Winter is gone. Rain is gone. Once and for all, in the Father's sight. The Father sees you righteous. You are his righteousness. Before you feel you were his righteousness. When you feel you were his righteousness and after you feel you were his righteousness. Hallelujah. That is how powerful the blood of Jesus is. It's more powerful than the blood of bulls and goats. Yeah. We shouldn't despise the blood. And it's efficacy. This is the blood of Jesus. The blood of bulls and goats could care for them for one year. But it's something that the blood of Jesus cannot care for you for one day. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. Before I conclude, let me use five minutes to talk about the ashes of the burnt offering. You know, all that we did is the ashes of the sin offering. So there was another category of ashes, which was the ashes of the burnt offering. They were different. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Leviticus 1 verse 16. And he shall pluck away the crop of his feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east part by the place of the ashes. Where the ashes of the sin offering was placed was different from where the ashes of the burnt offering was placed. Leviticus 6. Let's read, six, let's read verse 8. Let's go on verse 9. Command Aaron and his son saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning. And the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall put on his linen garments and his linen breeches shall he put upon his flesh. 
and shall take up the ashes which the fire has consumed with a burnt offering on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. Hallelujah. So, the burnt offering, the ashes was put on the east side of the altar. <laughs> Can you imagine? God is amazing. No? It, not the south side. Not the north side. The east side of the altar. Why? This was the ashes. Now, the ashes of the burnt offering is different from the ashes of the sin offering. The burnt offering is Christ our righteousness. You see, with a sin offering... When you lay hands on the offering, all your sins are transferred. The burnt offering is not like that. The burnt offering, when you lay hands on the offering, all the righteousness and the innocence and the beauty of the animal comes on you. You get me. So one, your sins go, the other one comes on you. And when you lay hands on the beast, all that the beast is, is for your acceptance. All of this is because one. So this is all about, the burnt offering is sweet-smelling offering. Everything is about Christ, his beauty, the purity of his thoughts, the purity of his heart. The, his perfection, his excellence, that's the burnt offering. How he pleased the Father, and it is burnt and it is carried in the pan. It is pleased, in a clean place, at the east side, for a memorial. Ashes are the final irreducible state of matter. They are for God's remembrance of your righteousness. Now listen, why was it placed at the east of the altar? East. Now the word east in Hebrew is the word kedem. K-E-D-E-M. And kedem is the word for everlasting. Kedem actually is everlasting. So, See God's wisdom, it was placed at the east. It was placed at the Kedem, which is everlasting. Why? Because God has given you everlasting righteousness. <laughs> Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Everlasting righteousness. Your righteousness, your righteousness is not, it's not daily righteousness, it's a gift. Yeah. You don't lose it. It's everlasting righteousness. When you sin, you don't lose your righteousness. Otherwise, Satan's work is greater than God's work. Yeah. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting. This is what happened at the cross. Jesus brought in everlasting righteousness. It was placed at the east of the altar. So East is Kedem, which is everlasting. But another thing is this. East is the place of glory. All of God's glory manifests in the East. So much to prove. All of God's glory. That's why God even placed Adam at the, in the East of Eden. Yeah. When Jesus was born, his star appeared in the East. The Ark of Noah sat in Ar- Arat. Ararat. The very day Christ rose from the dead, the same date was when the ark sat on Ararat, which is in, in the east. Ar, Arat. Ar is curse. Ar, Arat is reversed. Ar, Arat means curse reversed. In the resurrection, every curse on you was reversed. It was in the east. Everything is east. 
When the glory of God was leaving the temple, it left through the eastern gates and went through the eastern mountain and went back to heaven. Everything is east. But this time around, so shall they fear my name. From where? From the west. And my glory from the rising of the sun. Is that 59? Verse 19. My glory from where? The rising of the Where does the sun rise? So where is his, his, his glory? Okay. Now, in 2 Chronicles 5, from 12, when Solomon dedicated the temple, all the, the priests, 120 priests, stood at the eastern part of the altar. And look at what happened. Because east is the place of glory. The very eastern part of the altar... Also the Levites, which were of the singers, all of them of Asaph and Haman and Jejuthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar. With them, 120 priests sounding trumpet. And what happened? The next verse. The long verse, but let me read the last end. That the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. The next verse. So that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled. The glory came from the east. It's amazing. Ezekiel's temple, the glory, the glory, the river, the glory river came from the eastern gate. And a man in linen was, came from the east. Everything is east. So the eastern part of the altar is the place of glory. Where the ashes are placed is the place of glory. And the ashes are a memorial of your everlasting righteousness, which Christ has procured for you. You have been brought into glory. You've been brought into glory. Listen, when man sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of their Glory. What does it mean to fall short? If the glory goes, sicknesses, diseases, poverty, hunger, selfishness, hatred, sin, addiction, all of these things come when the glory is. Because man has fallen short of the glory. So when the glory comes, when the glory comes, what happens? Ah, health, strength, abundance, mekorataya. So, you are in glory. When you are in righteousness, you are in glory. Hallelujah. And lastly, the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for ashes is the word dashin. Have you heard of dashin before? Dashin. You know what it means? Two meanings. Now, the word dashin means acceptance or to accept. Dashin. Psalm 20, verse 3. Dashin. Ashes in Hebrew is dashin. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice. Now, the word accept is dashin. It's actually it's a word for ashes. So, some of the versions will say, remember all thy offerings and tend to ashes your burnt sacrifice. Because the word here is the same dashin, the word for ashes. Because the word 
Ashes actually means acceptance. So when the ashes are placed in a clean place or in the east, it's a memorial of your acceptance in Christ. You have been accepted. His acceptance was your acceptance. You are accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. Then lastly, you know what it means? Abundance. Fatness. Prosperity. That's the word for ashes. Psalm 60, Psalm 36, verse 8. That's the word for ashes. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thine house. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the ashes of your house. The, the Hebrew says, the dashin of your house. <laughs> Thou shalt make them drink of the river of Eden. The word pleasure there is a word for Eden. You know the rivers that pass through Eden, they all have their meanings. You will drink of the rivers of Eden. But you see, the fatness of his house, abundance, prosperity, is ashes. So ashes is a proof of the finished work of Christ. This is the finished work of Christ. And all that it gives you is in the ashes. Say ashes. I'm accepted in the beloved. I want you to confess this one. Say, I shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness, with the ashes of his house. I will drink of the river of Eden. Hallelujah. Open your, lift up your voice and begin to pray. You just have to be grateful for Jesus. You just have to be grateful for Jesus. It is Jesus. We live for him. Be grateful for what he has done. <laughs> As you leave this place, you are walking in dominion. Sin is ashes. Every sin is a bend out cinder. Bend out cinders. Empty shells. That sin is an empty shell. That sin is an empty shell. Empty shells. Bend out cinders. It has no more sting. It has no more power. Now I see God liberating you by revelation. Your revolution is tied up in your revelation. All that is troubling you is ended. Because condemnation is gone. Thank you, Jesus. Now you have two minutes. Begin to pray and make confessions of faith. You have two minutes. Speak yourself in victory. Speak yourself in victory. Speak victory. Speak victory. Victory. Shabalaste. Thank you, Jesus. Victory. 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 You reign. You reign in life. You are a ruler. 
You are dignified. You are dignified. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mama, mama, mama. Mama, I say I reign in life. I have dominion. My sins are ashes. My weaknesses are ashes. I prevail by the sacrifice of Christ. I reign. My judgments are ashes. They are over and gone. Hallelujah. Victory is mine. The law of life is at work in me. I am death free. I am sin free, guilt free, condemnation free. Hallelujah. Come on, glorify God for the last time. God bless you for listening. We pray that the word of God will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word. Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastoti podcast. Simply search for Pastoti on any podcast app, plug in, and enjoy God's word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless.